You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Vikings are gushing about Shamar Stefan, but is it all just smoke? What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL, and you can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. Today, we're going to spend most of the show talking about Shamar Stefan. We're going to go over the comments that Andre Patterson and Eric Kendricks had about him and kind of vet that. We'll look at the tape and see for ourselves if that really bears out or if they're just kind of blowing smoke and trying to gas up their teammate. But first, let's talk a little bit about the news. There's no roster news or anything major to talk about. Daniel Hunter still isn't participating. It seems like they're taking things very slow and there doesn't seem to be a lot of cause for concern just yet. He has sat out like seven practices in a row, but it again, still kind of tracks that if it were just a minor injury, they would probably still have him sit out seven practices in a row just to be safe. So we'll keep an eye on that still, but it doesn't seem to be like some season ending or anything crazy. And I, at this point, would bet that he's still going to go week one or whatever. Uh, But let's talk a little bit about what went down on Sunday, because there was a very strange little saga that happened. If you missed it, here's what happened. Uh, You may have woken up in the morning or uh, seen in the morning that there was a slew of positive COVID-19 tests across the entire NFL, including 12 positive tests in the Vikings organization, eight of them players, uh, and a coach and three staff members. So that was a concern. It was like nine in Chicago and 10 uh, for the New York Jets. And eventually it came to light that these tests all came from the same lab, I think somewhere in New Jersey, uh, and it seemed like there was just like a contaminated batch of tests. So what happened was all of the tests were uh, retested, all the samples were retested, every single one of them came back negative, including all 12 of the Vikings, Uh, but all of those players and staffers were like sent home for the day, and they had to go through a certain protocol, and so Mike Zimmer actually had a uh, media availability during all of this, and he kind of said like, listen, we hope it's all okay, but if this is like a giant outbreak right now, we're kind of glad it's happening right now versus like in the season, because we kind of get to test run all of our protocols, and while the only like real tangible impact is like Eddie Yarborough got some more first team reps today, and it's not like a huge deal. What we do kind of see is that in an event where across the league, 77 players and staffers test positive on the same day, which really, I mean, if that were reported and that were actually true, that's an apocalyptic event, right? Like that's insane. That was a huge outbreak at a game or something. There is just like, there's going to be a lot of negative press about that. And the fact that the NFL has a provision in all of their plans and all of their protocols and stuff that essentially handles that situation tells us pretty clearly that they would plan to play through that situation. And again, I don't know if that's wise or smart to do, but it's pretty clear that the NFL is going to have this season come hell or high water. Of course, all takes subject to change when actual negative press comes out and we know how sensitive the NFL is to the kind of uh, swirling criticisms that come. And a lot of times that's the only way to get them to act on anything. But with this one, it was kind of a dress rehearsal for what would happen in the case of a really bad outbreak. And thankfully, everything came back negative and it seems like all 12 of those people were not actually exposed or anything. It was just a whoopsie in the testing lab that we can all kind of move on from now. In actual on-field news, it seems like since we last talked, uh, just a few updates on some of the the things that we talked about with, like, Will Raggetts on uh, Thursday. Go check that out. He's actually on the field. 
except for on Sunday when, because it was hot out, they actually had to move the practice indoors, and that meant only Courtney Cronin, who's the pool reporter, uh, only Courtney Cronin was allowed inside. She's, like, been tested and gone through the protocols and stuff. Um, so she was the only one actually allowed inside to do the, uh, the, the pool reporting, um, which is kind of funny that she's, like, now doing everyone's... She's got to, like, lift, lift everything. Shout-outs to Courtney for bringing us all the information. Uh, but... It seems like, for example, like Alexander Hollins appears to still be making some uh, some pretty good plays in camp. It seems like he's really like raising his stock, and I'm starting to really like his roster odds. I think I had it in my original 53-man prediction, but I wasn't very confident in it, and so I'm, I'm starting to kind of get a little bit higher on him than I was. Seems like the corners are still kind of doing the things that we thought they were. Uh, Cameron Dantzler hasn't made a bajillion splash plays in a while, it doesn't sound like, but he's still like been playing well. Uh, Jeff Gladney actually made a couple of better plays, although he's, you know, of course, playing a little bit more in the slot and playing a little bit more sparingly because he's still coming off that knee, so you wouldn't expect as many headlines about him. And it seems like everything is still kind of like taking the same... Uh, trajectory that it was when we last left off. Jalen Holmes, he's uh, been moved to edge rusher, of course. He's been playing, taking all the first team reps in place of Daniil Hunter for the most part. I think Eddie Yarborough took him once or something, but uh, it seems like that's been a pretty good move. The the deconversion, he seems a lot more comfortable. He's been holding up decently uh, against like Brian O'Neill and Riley Reef. And it seems like the interior of the defensive line with all the deconverting that went on there, you have Shamar Stefan going back to nose tackle, uh, you know, Hercules Mata'afa just kind of as like a third down sub package guy, which is basically what his role was uh, in the regular season, the parts of the regular season he played in last year. But, you know, there's a lot of kind of uh, Armin Watts playing a little bit more three technique now. He was a three technique at Arkansas and then he played a bunch of nose last year. So with all that kind of untangling, it seems to be returning more positive than negative, which is very nice. But there's also and we've already kind of talked about this, there's always the other side of it. You know, I th somebody said like, oh yeah, Jaleel Johnson and Armin Watts are getting a lot of push on, uh, you know, they're pushing the pocket. I think that was what Will Raggett said. And, and there's a million responses under that, like, oh, they're pushing all the interior line or interior line is so bad. And it's like, how do you take a tweet about Jaleel Johnson and immediately focus on the guy who he beat, who you don't actually know who he went up against in like one-on-ones and stuff. I think it was probably like Pat Elfline a bunch or maybe Bradbury or whatever. But either way, it's like, the, the nature of training camp is that there necessarily must be a winner and loser, regardless of how good those players actually are. So we can't really use like, oh, Jaleel Johnson beat this person on a rep, that means that person's bad. And we, I kind of see that all the time. So I guess I would just like caution you guys when it comes to training camp, especially this year when we can't watch the whole thing, we can't take like... You know, like Arif Hassan gets actually pretty good insights when he watches the O-line, D-line one-on-ones every year. You can't do that as much. Of course, you couldn't do it like today or uh, like Sunday because of the uh, COVID protocols with moving a practice indoors. But like he's been able to take, you know, two weeks worth of camp with, you know, an O-line, D-line, one-on-one in every single one of those practices and, you know, tracking them all and then eventually getting like actual data out of it. And it becomes a big enough sample where it becomes actually informative. That uh, that method, I think, called like Brian O'Neill being further ahead than we thought in his rookie year. Uh, and it called some other stuff like when Jalen Holmes like wouldn't work out at defensive tackle and stuff like it called some things. And that can be informative because it's looking at every single rep. And you're taking the whole body of work and the whole sample when it comes to just like anytime someone picks out a highlight, we can't really know anything about whether or not that highlight like means the player is good or whether or not the person on the other end of that highlight suddenly is bad, unless we also know that that is happening to them over and over and over and over. And it sounds like that is the, like, it sounds like Pat Elfline has had plenty of lowlights as we would kind of expect because he's been struggling as a starter in his whole career. You know, it sounds like we've had like more highlights from Adam Thielen. We would expect that. 
and it's been happening over and over and over and over. But like when you see like one, you know, Jaleel Johnson good rep against Garrett Bradbury, that doesn't necessarily mean you should update your take to Jaleel Johnson is being like good at defensive tackle. And it seems like he's actually having a good camp. And then like, oh, Garrett Bradbury is like totally hopeless. Like I think, no, just the guy won one rep. And then that goes into the data sample and the coaches have the whole data sample. That one was good. We'll see what the rest of them look like. But hey, speaking of singular events that don't necessarily represent your ability, it can be kind of hard to talk about that when something like that happens in the bedroom. You got to say something like, oh, you know, I lost my mojo, or if you know you're not feeling it, you have to say you have a headache or whatever, and that can be really, really uncomfortable. But that's where Roman comes in, because with Roman, it is easy to talk about ED. You can talk to a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and it's totally discreet. With Roman, you can actually go and get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. A professional will work with you, they'll find the best treatment plan, and if medication is appropriate for your condition, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. Just go to romanit.com xxx and complete an online visit. Doesn't have to be that awkward, guys. Just go to getroman.com slash LockedOnNFL today. If approved, you'll get $15 off of your first order of ED treatment. That's getroman.com slash LockedOnNFL. Getroman.com slash LockedOnNFL. So over the last couple of weeks, uh, there have been a lot of media availabilities from a lot of players and coaches and stuff, uh, including Eric Hendricks and Andre Patterson specifically. Uh, I'm sure Shamar, uh, I'm sure Mike Zimmer would echo this stuff about Shamar Stefan, but basically a lot of people ask like, hey, listen, Shamar Stefan, he didn't have so great a year. He's penciled in to be a starter again. Now he's got to like move from three technique to nose, which is, appears to be happening. Uh, maybe working out reasonably for him. I, hard to say again, uh, but it seems like the Vikings are really, really gung-ho about Shamar Stefan starting at that position. Whenever, whenever they're asked about it, they kind of give you the same spiel they always give you when there's like a struggling player, but the Vikings kind of want to cape for them. And they say like, oh, well, you're just looking at stats. Stats don't tell the whole story. Uh, you know, you can't, what he does doesn't like show up on the stat sheet. And then they'll even explain, like both Kendricks and Patterson mentioned this thing about like tying up offensive linemen at the line of scrimmage and stopping them from getting to the second level so that Eric Kendricks can be free and, and that'll, uh, you know, contribute to like his all pro season last year and uh Andre Patterson even said like yeah if it weren't for for Shamar Stefan uh Eric Kendricks might not have made that like had that all pro season and I think Kendricks would agree with that and so I've been kind of on the other side of this issue right I've, I've been saying like listen you know he's not productive enough he doesn't penetrate enough he doesn't uh you know he the, like that's all well and good that you know he can kind of like fight a guy to a stalemate once but I kind of expect a little bit more but Here's the thing. When you are on the other side of a defensive line issue as Andre Patterson, you should probably check yourself. So that is what we're going to do today. I'm going to audit my opinion and see if I can find what Andre Patterson is talking about and see how much that changes my evaluation of Shamar Stefan. Because if I'm wrong and Andre Patterson is right, I'm willing to accept that one. So for this, I looked at a couple of games. I would probably look at more if I had a little bit more time to do it. Uh, but for the purposes of this, I think this is a big enough sample. I looked at two games. I looked at a good one. I went and found his highest run uh, defense grade on PFF and just looked at that game. It was a game against the Lions, uh, the the home game, the week 14 one. And then I looked for a bad one. Uh, I wanted to look at the San Francisco game specifically because I remember that one being one where the, there was a lot of rushing success. And I wanted to see kind of what was responsible for that and how how much of a role Shamar Stefan played in that. 
And I'm focusing on just the run plays today. Uh, that's what Patterson and Kendricks were talking about when they were asked about that thing. They were referring to run defense. So I'm going to focus on just that. We can maybe do pass rushing stuff a little bit later, uh, but we'll, we'll just stick with the run today. And so I've linked uh, all of that tape that I cut up and posted on Twitter, and you can find that in the show notes, so you can kind of watch along. But whenever you see, so there's kind of two uh, concepts here that Shamar Stefan is tasked with putting up with. There's like a genuine double team where two guys get up into him and try to move him. Uh, that usually falls on the nose tackle, not the three technique. So Linval Joseph got a lot more of those than Shamar Stefan did, but Stefan got it sometimes. And then there is combo blocking. The Vikings use combo blocking a lot. You probably heard me talk about it before when explaining like how zone run schemes work. But essentially the idea is you have two offensive linemen and then you usually have a on the other side a defensive lineman and a linebacker that those two guys are responsible for. So the guy who is responsible for the linebacker is going to kind of have to climb into the second level uh, and try to go find that guy. And on his way there, he'll put a shove in or he'll engage a little bit with the defensive lineman that the person next to him is responsible for. So he kind of helps out the lineman next to him on his way up to get the linebacker. And so when you are that defensive lineman, your job is to keep the uh, engagement going on both offensive linemen for as much as you can and essentially deny him the opportunity or at least disrupt his path to the linebacker he's trying to block. As, you know, the guard or whoever tries to go up and get Eric Kendrick, Shamar Stefan is kind of trying to keep him off of him. And Andre Patterson and Eric Kendricks both swear by his ability to do this. And I think it's important to mention here that that's not the entirety of the defensive tackle's job. The defensive tackle also has to push the pocket and pass rushing. The defensive tackle also has to be productive when he's put in one-on-one situations, which, which uh, Shamar Stefan got a ton of one-on-one situations in 2019. Teams didn't really fear him. But today, I'm just going to focus on the double teams and the combo blocks because that's the thing that Patterson and Kendricks were talking about and kind of figure out how much of this is smoke and how much of this is like real, actual, underrated contribution that Shamar Stefan does that I should maybe pay more attention to. With the double teams, Shamar Stefan isn't great at these. I, I don't think he has the like crazy power that like a Linval Joseph or like even a Michael Pierce would have had for the Vikings. And especially in the San Francisco game, if two linemen got on him and wanted to move him somewhere, he was going to get moved there. I didn't really see a lot of splitting them or like really standing up to them, standing up a double team and like, uh, you know, reducing the space the running back had to work with. And I think a lot of like teams didn't try to do this very often because they were usually uh, double teaming like Limwell Joseph or sometimes double teaming one of like Hunter or Griffin because they're going to be more scared of those guys, right? If you're like game planning for the Vikings. Um, So in terms of his ability to do that, there's also like not too much more. There's not too much complexity to it uh, with that. I mean, there's a ton of complexity to like run fits and stuff. But when it comes to just like, did he beat the double team or not? You can usually just look and be like, did he get moved around a bunch? Uh, yeah, he got totally blown off the ball and there was a bunch of space to run right through that gap. All right. Yeah, no, he got beat up. He's also, I ended up picking two games where he was up against a pretty good competition, right? Like San Francisco's run game was legendary in 2019. Their guards played phenomenally in that game too. And in the Lions game, even though they're the Lions, it was that week 14 super sleepy one where the Vikings were ahead by three scores for like the whole game. Uh, But he went up against like, Graham Glasgow for most of that game. Graham Glasgow is a good guard, somebody who like commanded a decent free agent market this year. 
but it's the combo blocks that got a lot more interesting. The combo blocks is where I think the uh, the the concepts that Patterson and Kendricks point out really come into play. Of course, just like asking him to just like one on one beat or one on two beat a double team is probably not gonna be what you get. And teams to you know to their credit, like you could game plan for that. Right. You could be like, OK, if 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 we know we're going to double team Shamar Stefan and we can move him wherever we want, you can like choose plays that utilize that. And that's basically what San Francisco did. And that's like a big part of why San Francisco was able to get a whole bunch of running production, because they knew that they could double team Shamar Stefan and not worry about that backfiring for whatever reason. That said, the plays where they did double team Shamar Stefan, I don't think were as productive as the plays where they double teamed somebody else. Because, of course, when you double team Shamar Stefan, that means you're leaving Linval Joseph one on one, you're leaving Griffin one on one, you're leaving Hunter one on one. And, of course, that like didn't work out as often. So, if I were a team game planning for the Vikings, I probably wouldn't double team Shamar Stefan a lot. But if I did want to pay the cost of leaving all those other guys one-on-one, or maybe I had a play design that could, like, neutralize them a different way, like a trap or something like that, uh, and and I did want to pay that cost, I can be very confident that I would get what, I, what I'm what i paying for, and that Shamar Stefan won't ruin this plan. But we'll talk about the combo blocks in a second, because that's where it becomes a much more awkward job, a more difficult one to evaluate, and certainly one that wouldn't show up on the stat sheet. Maybe not even one that would show up in, like, PFF grades, which are billed as something that would capture this kind of thing, but it's, like, still kind of dirty work. So stick around, and I'll explain what I mean. All right, so there's a specific rep I want to highlight that uh, it's in the thread that I linked in the show notes that is the one I called textbook that I think shows this, right? He, so uh, he, it's a combo block. It looks like it was supposed to be a combo block. It doesn't look like a very good combo block because Shamar Stefan ruined it. This is a great rep for him. But it looks like it actually might be power, and then this is just a double team that he beats. But either way, the left guard engages with Shamar Stefan, and the left tackle is also helping out in that. What it looks like to me, what my guess would be, is that the uh, the left guard is going to eventually try to work his way up to Eric Kendricks. But Shamar Stefan puts that left guard on his butt and just, like, totally pancakes him. And the left tackle doesn't really get enough disruption on Shamar Stefan or get any push to, like, prevent him from doing that. So then you essentially just had Shamar Stefan take out two guys for the price of one. And there you go. You had a numbers advantage. And sure enough, uh, Eric Kendricks, completely untouched, finds his way into the gap and makes a great tackle. I think it was a tackle for no game, maybe even minus one. And there are actually a few uh, reps in that Lions game where the Lions decided to combo block through the nose tackle, be it Armin Watts or Linval Joseph, who, were, who was rotating uh, in during that one, um, but whoever was playing nose tackle, and those guys didn't do as good a job. Now, Linval Joseph had an incredible game against the Lions, but in, there's a couple reps that I highlighted where he didn't do this very well. But the, the Armin Watts one, I think, is the best example of it, where you see the center uh, get a good shock into the shoulder pads of Armin Watts and really, like, slow him down. And then Armin Watts gets taken op- taken up by the left guard, and the center is able to freely, because he took so much uh, momentum away from Armin Watts, and he didn't have to really impede his own momentum that much to do so, he was able to freely work up to Eric Kendricks, he got a block on Eric Kendricks, and there ended up being a pretty in- intense cutback lane up there, which unfortunately ruined some penetration on the other side of the play. And that's kind of what happens when that job doesn't work out. So you can kind of get the idea here, like, of what they're talking about, and the idea that Patterson said that, like, yeah, if he does his job well enough against those blocks, Eric Kendricks will be free to make the play. And Eric Kendricks is going to rack up a million tackles and Shamar Stevens is going to deserve a little bit of credit for that, uh, but it won't be reflected that way in the stat sheet. And I think that's totally fine. The other thing I get a little bit uh, skeptical of is when we say stat sheet, 
a lot of the time when coaches say that, they're talking about ESPN guys that are doing like tackles and like sacks and stuff. And it's like, yeah, if you're going to evaluate a linebacker on the number of tackles he got or a defensive tackle on the number of tackles he got, you're definitely doing something wrong. And there's a whole bunch of reasons for that, right? You can have a tackle that's not a good play. If you uh, like a got washed out of your gap and it was a 10 yard run and then you ended up pursuing and dragging him down by the ankles after it was a first down, you get a tackle, but that wasn't a good play and you probably shouldn't be credited like positively for it. And there's a whole bunch of other problems like tackles and stuff. When I use stats to evaluate, especially a defensive tackle, I'm thinking of a run stops, at least that's tackles that matter. But I also understand and definitely am sympathetic to the idea that there are contributions, especially in the front seven, that people will make that don't necessarily show up. I think Linval Joseph has been underrated for years, and most nose tackles are underrated because a lot of their contributions don't show up on the stat sheet. What I want from a defensive tackle is, I think there's three different ways for me that a defensive tackle can be what I would call productive. And one is like tackles and run stops and stuff, right? If you actually penetrate and you get a bunch of sacks, you get a bunch of tackles and you're Aaron Donald, you're a good defensive tackle and we don't really need to worry about the other stuff if you're like actually just taking over the play. And in, in the Lions game that I uh, profiled here, Linval Joseph does that a few times, right? He just goes in, beats his guy and blows up the play and everybody else's gap discipline didn't matter because he got a tackle for minus three. That's excellent. We want that every time if we can. If we can't get that, uh, then there's a couple other ways for defensive tackles to be productive. There's eating up double teams, right? If you are so disruptive and or just so big and strong, like, you know, you are Michael Pierce or Haloti Nada or whatever, that you just necessitate that the offense spend two players to block you, then you're doing something, right? Shamar Stefan, according to all of the people who have charted this, and it is pretty rare to see somebody go through and like actually chart all the double teams in the league and stuff, uh, but for those who have, Shamar Stefan does not demand many double teams. Sometimes he ends up with a double team, and of course, you know, the offense, a lot of times when they make their selections of like what play they're going to do, they are doing so before they even know which defensive lineman is going to be lined up where, and they're usually designing these plays to attack positions, like nose tackle and three technique, not players like Joseph and Shamar Stefan. But if you are a game-breaking player and you're warping their game plan so they have to spend a bunch of double teams on you, then yeah, that's a win and you're productive. You can get zero tackles, but if they have to double you every team, every play to get it, that's a pretty high cost that they have to pay to shut you down and something else bad is probably happening because they had to do that. And I think that that counts as being productive, even though it won't show up in anything. And then there's like other disruption and I, I use the word disruption because I think it's important, especially when you're a defensive lineman, to, to like prevent the offensive line from doing what they want to do. That's like how I'm evaluating all of these plays. Not necessarily, you know, did the guy get yards through your gap or whatever. I got into a, a conversation with uh, Krauserific on Twitter's great Twitter account who was saying, well, yeah, but, you know, the, the run went through Hunter's gap. So this play is really Hunter's fault. And it's like, yeah, it probably is Hunter's fault, but I'm evaluating whether or not Shamar Stefan prevented Graham Glasgow from doing what he set out to do on that play, which is create space laterally. And no, he created space laterally, and if you ask Graham Glasgow, how do you feel about this rep, he'd say, oh yeah, I'll take that one every single time. I'm probably not going to call it a win if you would, like, if you could see the guard saying that. But say, you know, you get a push, or you just deny a push to an offensive lineman, uh, and that offensive lineman, you know, was supposed to be the guy that the running back falls behind, and then they have to use their cutback lane instead, then you won your rep, right? And that's a disruption, and that's not going to show up on the stat sheet. Shoot, that run play still might turn out positively, depending on what, what happened elsewhere, but we can pretty easily look at least at you and say, okay, you did your job. And I still don't really think Shamar Stefan hits on any of these, but 
I am gonna update my take a little bit. After watching at least these couple of games and I see at least the combo block thing, I think Shamar Stefan was successful at that more often than he wasn't. And what I guess I don't have a great sense for is how he compares to other defensive tackles in the league like that because I haven't do like dove this deeply into like Jets tape and Chargers tape and Bengals tape and Lions tape and stuff like that to know how their defensive tackles are doing. Uh, and I don't think anybody's really like charting this in a way that like makes it easily comparable. But I will give Shamar Stefan credit that he's probably doing that job well enough, and the Vikings are obviously happy with the job that he's doing there. But I still think, like that, okay, like I'll give him a check in that column, and it's a check I didn't have before, so I'll upgrade my opinion of Shamar Stefan just a little bit. But in watching these games in the plays that he wasn't double teamed, which I didn't worry about like analyzing today, but I did like look at them as part of the exercise. I think there is a problem when he's the guy who gets the one-on-one -on -one opportunity with just not being opportunistic enough. And I think that's the, the dichotomy here. And it seems kind of backwards. Like, wait, he's good. He's like better in the double team situations than he is in the one-on-one -on -one situations. And it's because the expectations change, right? Like when you're the one-on-one -on -one person, you have to win. When you are up against the double team, you have to not lose. And I think Shamar Stefan can probably do well enough, not irreplaceably so, but he can probably do well enough at not losing. But when he's asked to win, when you're one-on-one -on -one with somebody's sixth round, second year left guard, and they're double teaming Linval Joseph, and they got two good tackles, so you can't, you gotta win. The Vikings need a player who can win in that situation. That situation is very common, and it's more common than the double team situation. Shamar Stefan takes more snaps one-on-one -on -one than he does double teamed. That, I can say pretty confidently, uh, if I were to like chart that out snap by snap, that that would be true. And that's the part where stalemates aren't good enough. Shamar Stefan is the stalemate king, and stalemates are good enough sometimes, but they're not good enough a lot of the time. So I'm going to hold to the I want to replace Shamar Stefan, but I'm holding it a little bit more weekly than I was before this exercise, and I suppose that's a little bit of progress. So before I sign off for the day, a real quick programming note. Of course, if you are a Locked On NFL listener, you already know this, but uh, Brian Peacock and Matt Williamson over at Locked On NFL are going to be starting their show on a new feed. They're going to call it the Williamson and Peacock show, and they are going to like rebrand the whole thing, but it'll be largely the same show. What's going to happen to Locked On NFL, you ask? I direct you only to the tweet linked in the show notes. I will see you all tomorrow, and as always, skull.